to the One Football Podcast. There's plenty of transfer window drama to get through as Chelsea smash the record. Spurs have a last-minute panic, and Lewis, I'm guessing, is rather excited about Arsenal's business. But we'll get onto that in just a little bit. As joining me, Matt Frohlich, today are Lewis Ambrose, hello, and Podrick Whelan. Hello. I was really tempted to get you started on the Arsenal stuff with this. Um, because I saw so much division on Twitter, and I know that's not always the best place to start, is with Twitter, um, about the signings. But I, I, we'll get your take on it in just a little bit. But we couldn't start without talking about Chelsea. Um, Enzo Fernandez breaks the British transfer record. I feel like we should just say transfer record from now on, leaving out Mbappe and Neymar, because those two deals are never going to be broken. Um, they, that wasn't British, but... though. <laughs> what wasn't? Neymar and Mbappe. Yeah, yeah, but this is what I mean. We don't need to say British transfer record. You just say transfer record because everyone no, knows that it means without. He's like the, I think he's like the fifth, isn't he? Ever. Really? So I, I think didn't the, think yeah, the I others think were more than him. I think he's fifth ever. Um, Plus, it's very so yeah, brave so... of you, Matt, to say that uh, Todd Bowley will not break the transfer <laughs> record. <someday laughs> I honestly, I didn't think that um, like João Felix or, or Dembele were more than him. I thought he. I was think a little Felix, maybe Dembele, and possibly Hazard is like that same bracket as well. Hazard to Real Madrid. Oh, um, okay. So, wow. yeah, so you do have to say British. Although, why do we? Why do we still call it a British record? Like that's obviously like that goes back to the days of Rangers spending loads of money. Um, you know, unsuccessfully, ultimately. Um, but, like, why... <laughs> so, like, we had, there was a time where Rangers or possibly Celtic would mm. spend a transfer fee that would, you know, sort of 25 years ago, that would be a British record. But that's just never going to happen ever again now, is it? So, like, why do we still stick with mm. British record and not Premier League record? Rex is it weird. Ryan Reynolds and his, I was going to say millions. <laughs> you never know. It, it's something to do probably with the fact there are a couple of Welsh sides in the English football system. Well, so it's a Premier League record, right? It's a, yeah, it's a well, I, I realised when I said this the other day, I was like, Premier League record, like the Championship would ever beat that. Like you'd have a different championship record to Premier League record. That would, that would never happen. So when you say Premier League, it means English football in general. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just find the, yeah. the use of British funny because, like, so we're <laughs> then including Celtic and Rangers, who are obviously never going to spend 120 million on a player. Okay, okay, okay then, Podrig. What, what's the Scottish record? Um, what is the Scottish record? Oh, I've put you on the spot here. I feel bad. Tori An- I think it's Tori Andre Flo still. Really? Yeah, twelve million. Yeah. Wow! There you go. And that he didn't do a lot. Twenty odd. <laughs> where was that? Ninety nine, two thousand. Two thousand, I think. Yeah, twelve million from Chelsea. I oh God, there you go. We learned something new. Anyway, yeah, let's start with that Chelsea. Uh, that sorry, British transfer record, Premier League transfer record in Enzo Fernandez. Um, Lewis, the question is, what does he have to do? So that we look back and say that was worth it. <laughs> um, yeah, you always give me questions that I hate. Where like I have to give an answer, like a question where I have to give some answer, like an exact answer or something. It's, right. Basically, he, it will never happen. It will never happen yeah. that Enzo Fernandez, as a midfielder, not a player that's going to score thirty or forty goals in a season, will do enough that everybody goes, yeah, yeah, actually. They Bargain. were right and they got their money's worth. Like, there's a, a midfielder has never existed. Like, the only players I think I'll play it like where you'd ever say, Yeah, yeah, that, that was definitely worth it in the end are players who are going to score you 40 or 50 goals a season because those are the players that ultimately, when you win big things, that people give the credit to. So, you know, I mean, from Chelsea's point of view, 120 million. I mean, it's already, it's more than that, obviously, because you've got like a massive contract as well. So, that's just the fee to, that Benfica get out of it. Um, yeah. Chelsea will be saying, obviously, if they finish in the Champions League this season, then that's already £40 million paid off if, if he's sort of key and they, they manage to go on a big run and finish in the top four, which I think would surprise pretty much everybody mm. at this point. And ultimately, yeah, I mean, worth it. I don't know. Like, they're not going to go and win... Very unlikely they're going to win like five Premier Leagues and three Champions Leagues, like in the time, um, in the time that he's going to be at the club. But 
yeah, I've, you'd probably for that money expect a guy for the next, maybe not straight away, but for three or four years in a row, be obviously the best midfielder in the entire league at some point. I, I, I mean, that's amazingly ambitious to think that, mm. like, not that he's not got the potential, but to think that it will definitely fulfil it and that that will happen. I just don't think, I don't think we'll ever reach a point where anyone who goes for this amount of money where we can all sit there and go, yep, yeah, that was really, really well spent and, and definitely worth everybody's time and worth every penny. I'm trying to think if you could ever really put that on any major signing, like the ones we talked about before. Mbappe, worth it? He's probably the closest, over 100 million. That's what I mean, though. Like, What what have PSG won that they wouldn't have won anyway without killing Mbappe? <laughs> That's a very good question. So, so That's nothing, a very good question. So, yeah. <laughs> Not that it's a complete waste of time or anything that, to sign him, but they've not actually won anything that they wouldn't have won without him anyway, so far. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, I guess. Yeah, I can't imagine you're right. I can't imagine any way in which he would be worth it. Also, it's a complete team sport. Like, imagine if the team dragged him through and he'd have all these trophies next to his name. Yeah, you you can argue that he wouldn't wouldn't be worth it no matter what he does. Um, Podrick, though, how do you foresee the financial issues for Chelsea? I was reading somewhere that they needed to make up 80 million a season not to fall foul of FFP rules. I'm not quite sure how true that is. Um, they apparently they need to sell only a fraction of that in homegrown talent for it to, to also be legitimate. Um, this this can't go on. I know you're a big fan of Bowley's spending. He's quote quote you said box office. Um, yes. Yeah, but this is going to come back to bite Bowley. them at some point, surely. Um, I mean, yeah, mate. Like you said, they obviously have a lot of money to make make up, but it's I think it's even been reported now that they're. There's like eight players, I think, up on the chopping block for the summer. But when you look at the players that are it, it's like Connor Gallagher, Callum Hudson, Adoy. If you're just talking homegrown, Ziyech, like these are guys that when they do sell them, if the eighty million figures right, they're they're going to get good money for them. Like Gallagher, what was it? it was like forty five million Everton were linked with them spending on deadline day to bring him in. So I mean, there's. 45 million right there. Hudson Adoy, I think they would get good money for Loftus Cheek. The same you could probably sell on for, for quite a bit. And I mean, I think that it seems like Chelsea are quite confident anyway with the, the FFP side of it. And that's one of the reasons they've given um, these players the seven, eight, nine year contracts because they can obviously spread it out um, over a longer time rather than a single year. So, yeah, from what I was reading on it, it seems like. Chelsea themselves are quite confident that they've not um, breached any rules and that it's going to work out all right for them in the long run, um, which is good for us because, like I said, the more Todd Bowley we get in the Premier League, the happier I am. Surely, you say that, but surely they, they're not going to keep doing it. You can't go and buy 10 players every single year, yeah. right? Like, Surely they've done this the first couple of windows and then maybe they'll do a few more in the summer and then... The idea is, okay, that's our team sort of sorted for the next four or five years, except the odd signing. Oh, I really hope not. <laughs> this is, I really hope this is the new Chelsea. This is just a splash in the ocean of what they're going to do in the summer, isn't it? There's going to be something absolutely ridiculous coming up. Like Lewis said, though, I mean, you, just, you can't see it. It's, it'd just be as much as I did joke and would love it, it would be absolutely insane if they went out and spent even close to what they've spent this month again in the summer. But at what point do players like players like get targeted by Chelsea and at what point does a midfielder in the summer go like, hold on a minute, but am I ever going to play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I think. It's probably really off-putting after a while knowing that you've got six months to make an impact at Chelsea and if you don't, next window, they are buying somebody else. You're yeah. going to be panicking like every six months about your future at the club. Yeah, it's... I mean, we don't need to talk about how mental it is, do we? Um, but it is. It's, it's ludicrous is the word. Um, talking about um, a harmony, uh, talking about being harmonious in the squad, uh, can Chelsea realistically plan on this squad being together, Podrick? Um, how many players do you think the Potter actually wanted within his, in his team? What was that? Sorry, I got distracted. (laughs) (laughs) 
You are distracted. Unbelievable. How harmonious do you think the squad is going to be? And how many of them do you actually think that Potter wanted? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, that's a good point. Um, well, it's, it's just a ridiculous amount of talent there. Um, there's even guys on the book. Like I think I said to you earlier about Pulisic and you had turned around and went, oh, yeah, yeah, Pulisic is still there, still on the books. There's guys there that are unbelievably talented, but yeah, you forget all about. Um, Lukaku, obviously, is still a Chelsea player as well. He's got to come back, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't be in any rush to, to sign for them um, if I was somebody else, like Lewis said, because you just don't know if you're going to play. Like, guys even, like, Madweki was one that I thought was, was just a strange signing. He must look at that and think, how am I ever going to get close? I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. it's like life-changing money and stuff for him, but on the playing side of things, um, yeah. I mean, not that I'm going to feel all that sorry for them, but uh, yeah, I mean, Potter's got, he's got a hell of a job to, like you said, because not everybody's going to be happy, and there's a lot of big names in that dressing room, a lot of big money spent on them, so that's why, uh, that's why he's in the position he is, I suppose. Of course, they've also got the dilemma, which I think will be announced pretty much any time this afternoon of um, of who to include in their squad for the Champions League. Lewis, you're looking at this one a little bit earlier. I it, The five names that we had out of the signings, Mudrik and Fernandez have definitely got to be in there because they cost a ridiculous amount of money. So it leaves the last three of Badiashile, Felix or Madueki. Um, I personally knocked Madueki out of the conversation his experience compared to the others isn't quite there. Um, so I'm thinking a straight shootout between Badi Shile and Felix. And yeah. it's a weird yeah. one. You can only register the three three new players, yeah. right, for, for the Champions League. And Badi Shile is a player they've targeted for a position that they're like, yeah, we really need someone who can play there. You think that's probably like less of the case with, with Jao Felix. Mm. But then they've spent a fortune on Jao Felix to just play for them for half a season. So how do you justify spending all that money on him and then leave him out of the Champions League squad? It's really, yeah, I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea what they're going to do. Um, yeah, and, and you're going to upset players as well. There's going to be players, yeah. there are going to be players, I mean, it's one thing, you know, to have a few players you have to drop from the Champions League squad. And we know that three players have to be left out for these three new players to be registered. It's another thing when you just sign someone and then you have to say, oh, sorry, by the way, like you're not in the Champions League squad. Um, for the rest of the season, you know, a lot of these players join big clubs because they want to play in the, at the highest level and compete in Champions League knockout games. And you've just signed, you know, talk of Noni Madueke, for example. You just signed for Chelsea. Now they're going to tell you, oh, yeah, by the way, you're not going to play in the Champions League. They could get 10 injuries and he's not going to play in the Champions League because he won't be registered. And they're not going to qualify for the Champions League for next season. So, welcome to Chelsea, mate. Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about it beyond this six months. <laughs> you know, yeah, like they've signed up, anyone who gets left out now has, has signed up, it'd it be that Badi Shile, be it, be it Nani Madureke, they've signed up for 18 months without, at least, without playing in the Champions League now. Unless they win it. Unless, I was just about to say <laughs> that, unless the unthinkable happens and they win it. Uh, last little thing on Chelsea, though, Lewis, do you think there was any funny business going on with ZX's late deal to PSG not happening? Because what do you of mean funny business? Not making it. Funny? Well, yeah, it was hilarious. Well, <laughs> by the term funny business meaning, I don't know, for whatever reason, Chelsea didn't want to let Ziyech go or they wanted to punish the player or whatever. They sent, uh, yeah. they twice sent unsigned paperwork, which just seems a bit reckless. They have an addiction to having as many footballers as possible. So, uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't, I, I think, you know, the their eye was not on the ball, let's say, uh, all hands were on deck trying to get the Enzo Fernandez deal completed and someone right. and, and, and letting Ziesch uh, complete his move to PSG became I'm guessing something of an afterthought in the in the offices at Chelsea on on Tuesday night uh, to the extent that they sort of just were sending over paperwork, sending over the wrong papers, then forgetting to put a signature on the paperwork. And obviously he gets screwed out of a move. I, the Turkish window's still open and I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him at least on loan or something just to play football every week, uh, go, go out to one of the big Turkish clubs between now and the end of the season before getting a more permanent move in the summer because the, the poor guy is just going to be sat there now thinking, what the hell is going on? 
Oh, Lord. Uh, right, we're done with Chelsea. Now we'll move on to Tottenham, though, also in the last little bit of exciting business. The last minute saw Pedro Porro join the club. Um, Lewis, have you been impressed by anything that you've seen of him, uh, especially in the Champions League this season? Yeah, I mean, it looks like the the profile you'd want for a Conte wing-back up and down and, and a lot of attacking output. So, yeah, like we've, we've talked before about some of the positions that Spurs needed an upgrade and, and a player who could maybe perform more reliably. Um, and wing-back, and even going back to the summer, right wing-back was one of those positions that kind of stuck out maybe more obviously than others. I think, you know, obviously in the final third, uh, and in midfield, Spurs are fairly well stocked. Um, and it was sort of the two wing-back positions and maybe an extra centre-back where you thought that's where a real improvement can be made. And, you know, Pedro Porro, to, to me, would look like an upgrade on, you know, uh, uh, certainly attacking uh, on Emerson Royale and Matt Doherty. So. And you mentioned Matt Doherty there, obviously left the club permanently, not even on loan. Um, I, I was sitting there watching all the, the deadline day news coming through thinking he's going to go out on loan and then suddenly, bam, terminated. Um, Podrick, how on earth have Tottenham let this happen where they didn't know how many players they had out on loan, um, couldn't force the Doherty deal through, so then obviously had to terminate his contract at the cost of a few million? Yeah, I mean, that's maybe that's what you get for laughing at Chelsea and the, the ZH <laughs> saga. This was a bit of it because that was equally shambolic uh, from Spurs, especially because I mean, like they did spend about fifteen million, so they spent decent money on Doherty not that long ago, um, and the fact that they had loaned Jed Spence out not that long before, it just it doesn't make much. It may, I, I get that you want Jed Spence to play football, but maybe. There was a case to be made that Spence could have just stayed at Tottenham until the summer, um, and then they could it could have freed up Matt Doherty to go on loan instead of Spence being the first one to go out the door, and then the knock on effect from that is yeah that they basically have to terminate a guy's contract who, if it had came to it in the summer or well obviously it wasn't going to happen in January it was only a loan to Atletico but someone would have paid a decent money I think for Matt Doherty. Um, so it's 31, but I mean, still more than capable and he'll probably do quite well at Atletico. He is, we were talking about, he's very much a Diego Simeone kind of mm. player. He will run all day for him. Um, so yeah, that was pretty pretty bizarre from Spurs um, that it came down to, <laughs> to not knowing or even if it wasn't at the timing of it. Yeah, very odd one. You've made it sound like Doherty's going to be at Nottingham Forest in six months' time. I just they just popped if into my head. To, if you if <laughs> yeah. you had to guess where it'd end up, that would probably be the safe bet. Yeah, it's them or Chelsea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just sort of paying paying a little bit of money for a thirty one year old. I was like, which team would do that? And then you mentioned that the Atletico's six month contracts. I'm like, it's got it's got Knott's Forest, right, on a free transfer written all over it in July. Um on to Manchester United though. They swooped late. For Marcel Sabitzer after injury to Ericsson. Uh, Podrick, is he the type of player to take United to the next level, or is this sort of a uh, a fill-in for Ericsson whilst he's whilst he's out? Because it looks like early May could be the earliest that we'll see Ericsson back, apparently. Yeah, pretty much end of the season. But yeah, I think um we'll probably come on to it, but it's maybe a bit similar kind of to Jorginho at Arsenal, where mm. I think it's just kind of filling a body um for somebody else. And no, Sabitzer's he's a good player, um, but he's not going to be a game changer. Certainly not in the way that that Eriksson's been for Man United. Obviously, he's had a really good season. Um, after kind of shaky enough start, I've been really impressed with Eriksson. I think, I mean, Sabitzer, yeah, I don't know that he'll he'll play all that often either. Um, but it's an experienced player, an international, a guy who's done it at the top level, and if not an upgrade, but and he's definitely obviously a much different type of player to Ericsson, but yeah, just a handy guy to have in there because as much as I love him, um, I know that people, especially Man United fans, wouldn't want to be relying on Scott McTominay um, to come in and do a job for them if needs be. So he's definitely uh, already ahead of him. So that, that's the, the thing I wanted to ask Lewis about McTominay and Fred. 
What do you think they're thinking? Like, Ericsson gets injured, and either one of them is probably going, you know what, Ericsson's injured, this is my time, I'm going to step into the first 11. And now they've gone and signed somebody else. Do you think it leaves them feeling a bit uh, overlooked or undervalued? Um, I think Man United would be incredibly short if they hadn't signed somebody else. Uh, yeah, they're in four competitions still. If they'd have thought that they can get by with Casemiro, Fred and McTominay only for two positions in midfield... Um, I think it would. Be, I think there'll be enough minutes, basically, with you know, four competitions, four players to to play in midfield. You know, can you imagine if they'd have not signed Sabitza and then Casemiro got an injury and he was out for a month? Then you're like one red card away from God knows what you do for three games uh, in in midfield. So, I, I think for, yeah. <laughs> Is he still, still there? Um, still there? You know, but like that's that's it. You'd just sort of be talking about him or like dropping Bruno Fernandez deep in midfield. Though, so I think they had to just for pure numbers sign somebody. Um, I think it's good for the players. I think you know, Sabitzer is closer to being able to to replicate some of the creativity that Ericsson brings than the McTominay and the Fred as well. I don't think as a player, I don't, I don't think as a Man United player, I don't think certainly as a Man United fan, you'd want those players to have a place in the team that they don't even have to fight for, that goes completely unchallenged. If you play for a top club, you shouldn't ever be in a position where you just get handed starts because there's not enough good players in those positions. So, you know, if you want to play for Man United, you know, you're sitting there, McTominay, Fred, if you want to play for Man United, you have to earn your place and you don't just get it because someone got injured and then you don't even have to fight for it anymore, but you're just the only midfielder left at the club. Um, you know, so, I mean, if I'm McTominay and Fred, I'm probably looking at Sabitza coming in and thinking I'm more likely to compete for a place with him than with Ericsson, you know? Mm. As for uh, Arsenal, though, I know you're going to have a, quite a bit to say about this, Lewis, but we'll get Podrig's view on it first from the outside, because I've been... I'm interested what a non-Arsenal fan would think about the move for Jorginho to Chelsea. Do you think, like you mentioned, it could be just a bit of a stopgap for six months or is he really going to bring a lot to the Arsenal team? I'm interested in what the Arsenal fan has to say. <laughs> um, that's the exciting one. But I mean, from the outside, I, I really like Jorginho. Um, yeah. and he's a really good player. I mean, only six months left on his deal, so they got him at a good price as well. And I think... A, a bit differently to the Man United one, but this one for Arsenal, he's probably he's a massive upgrade. At, well, massive might be over-egging it, but he's a big upgrade on uh, the guy he's replacing if it's El Nene is to be out for um, as long as he's going to be out for. And you get a little penalty taker out of it as well if that should ever come to that. So, uh, yeah. I mean, not that I think Bakayo Saka might have something to say about it, but... <laughs> Never mind what Bakayo Saka has to say. I want to know what Lewis Ambrose has to say about Jorginho. That is it, Lewis. As a a fan, I don't ever want to be put in a position where I'm watching that little hop, skip and a jump uh, (laughs) to to tuck the ball in the bottom corner. Um, Let's keep that at the Olympics. Uh, I think Jorginho is a good player. Um, I think Arsenal were put in a position with Elneny's injury. I don't don't think Arsenal came into January looking to sign midfielder. and then Elneny got injured. And when Elneny got injured, the club were kind of forced into action. Uh, so you, you had this situation where Thomas Partey's obviously playing every week and, and will continue to play every single game when he's fit. But last season was sort of derailed the last six weeks or so because Thomas Partey got injured. And the, the drop-off to Lukonga or to Elneny was just too big and, and, the, and the team suffered. So with Elneny injured as well now, you're sort of one injury away from disaster. Um, I think, you know, Moises Caicedo is a player that Arsenal fans then became very obsessed with the idea of signing. Um, I think he's probably a target that Arsenal had in mind for the summer and then thought because of Elneny's injury, oh, maybe we can speed that up and do it now instead. Brighton obviously weren't really willing to play ball, play ball unless you went in with a a crazy bid. I mean, Arsenal went in at £70 million and, and that wasn't enough. So, you know, I guess the last two days of the window came down to, right, what can we do in that position that's not really expensive? It doesn't, you know, Arsenal have been linked with Caicedo, obviously, have been linked with Declan Rice in the summer. Spending £12 million on Jorginho doesn't stop those deals from being able to happen in the summer as the sort of long-term solution in that position. 
and you've signed a player with you know a lot of experience. Uh, he's kind of a specialist in that number six role anyway. It's for for club and country the last what six seven years now. Maybe superb at Napoli. One big things with Chelsea was was excellent for Italy at the Euros, and they went and won the Euros. So I think like for a player who, if Thomas Partey's fit, is likely to come in for Europa League games basically, um, and then come on for the last ten minutes of a game when Arsenal are winning and just keep the ball. Um, I think it's a, a pretty shrewd deal, and I think they've done quite well to in the in the last sort of day or two of the window managed to go and get him and get it over the line. When you know, I, I think a lot of Arsenal fans their problem with this is a that Arsenal have signed players from Chelsea over the last few years and it hasn't really worked out, and b Arsenal have spent the last two years. Arsenal are where they are in the league right now because they've spent the last two years targeting young players. And it's worked really, really well. And Jorginho isn't that. Jorginho is not a player that's going to be Arsenal for the next four years. But when you're five points clear at the top of the league and you don't know when you might be in a title race again, you're signing players to get you over the line until May. Mm. And yeah, I think that's what the focus turned to with with Trossard as well earlier in the month and now with Jorginho at the end of the month. That's a shame. I wanted the, the angry, the social media Arsenal response to Jorginho. Go on social media. Get, I was going to say. Very level-headed. Um, yeah, fine points made all round. <laughs> very disappointing. It, you, it, you, it, wanted, you wanted one of those Arsenal fans that's saying Edu should be fired after he passed yeah, on the league. That's <laughs> exactly what I wanted. Oh, my word. I'd honestly trust Edu and Arteta with the signings that they've made recently the majority of them are absolutely fine. So I think they've, they've earned some leeway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They've earned a bit of consideration. Um, I'm not saying they should build a Jorginho statue, but yeah, it's, it's not looking so bad. Um, on a side note from this, because I see it all over Tottenham Twitter, and I'm, I'm definitely subscribed to the view that it makes the Chelsea-Arsenal rivalry absolutely tin pot. You cannot be sharing this amount of players. It, it, it just, it's too friendly. It's too friendly for a derby. Um, I mean, like, I don't know. There are too many clubs in London anyway. Like, I don't, like, they're all London derbies, but um, I feel like, I think Chelsea and West Ham fans care a lot more about Arsenal than Arsenal care about. Like, there's a competitive rivalry with Chelsea. Um, it's not something I'd, I'd ever really call much of a derby. That's just, that's just Tottenham, really. Mm. Um, and then Tottenham and West Ham and Chelsea will hate each other because they try and fight it out over who's the second biggest club in London. Um, <laughs> Honestly, Tottenham are the most hated out of those three teams. One hundred percent. Matt, if, like if that warms warms your heart and fills your trophy yeah. cabinet, then keep it. It's, it, not, it. But it is true. If you ask Arsenal fans, the biggest derby is definitely is definitely. Well, it's Tottenham. the only. It's the only derby. Yeah, like, Chelsea fans they definitely hate Spurs the most, and West Ham Spurs definitely. What did, what did we ever do? It's not like can, well, I don't even know what we did. It. You know yeah. what you did, mate. You know what you, you can did. keep that to yourself. <laughs> it's fine by me. Um, what? Yeah, yeah what like the, the Arsenal Chelsea thing, like, you know, Chelsea have had players that they wanted to get rid of. No one else wanted them, and Arsenal did. So it's like, you know, um, it's just sort of how it goes. Whereas Arsenal and Tottenham maybe just sign each other's scraps or captains from time to time. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, and Chelsea oh. just sort of nick players off off West Ham when they're too good to play for West Ham. Yeah, that that's yeah. what happened for quite a little bit with Spurs and West Ham as well. Like I remember us signing like a Jermaine Defoe and Scott Parker, and I was thinking, God, this is this is the, the sort of stuff that goes on when you have up to seven or eight teams at a time in the same division from the same city. It's it's convenience. Players it's, are every lazy. Week, it, honestly, every week, by the way, like it's a real tangent, but it's nonsense. They, like I've put on the telly and it's like West Ham Crystal Palace and the commentator's like, oh, a London derby. Like, shut up. <laughs> West Ham and Crystal Palace fans <laughs> don't care about each other. Like, that's nothing. It's, it's There's not more a of a derby in Palace Brighton. I think it's the M23 yeah, yeah. derby. Or like Arsenal, Arsenal Fulham. It's like, Arsenal Fulham? What? It's, yeah. You know, who cares? The Burnt <laughs> Leno <laughs> derby. <laughs> Cedric yeah, Suarez Derby. Suarez. <laughs> I don't, I'm sure that's not how you actually pronounce his last name. I think it is. I believe it is. Oh, that's all right. Uh, I'm trying to wrap my brains now. Who would be Celtic's Derby if it wasn't if it wasn't Rangers, Podry? It's Partick Thistle, mate. <laughs> is it really? No. 
<laughs> I don't know much about Scottish football to know. Evidently. Yeah. Clyde. We owe them one, actually. They they beat us in Roy Keane's debut. Ruined. Ruined his debut and Roy Keane was never the same since. So, yeah. So Clyde. if there was like a big Celtic Clyde this weekend, don't miss the derby, you'd be all over it. That's acceptable, all was it? it? All about it. <laughs> Oh, God. Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, right. We'll move on to Manchester, though. Um, Manchester City, who had, as as I've called it, a bit of an out-of-office out transfer window, apart from answering one phone call for João Cancelo. Uh, Podrick, have they shot themselves in the foot with this deal uh, when it comes to strength and depth and obviously his versatility in different positions? Yeah, I mean, as a player, you would say so. I mean, it's just a guy that's worth having in the in the squad, um, because of the talent he has, he can play both sides. He could play high up, uh, up the park as well, if you need him to. Guys like that, they already sold one last summer in Zinchenko, and look how that's working out for Arsenal. They've kind of done it again now with Cancelo, but I think obviously with Cancelo, it was a lot more than football and reasons um, for him going. Obviously, it seemed like his relationship with Pep broke down, um, so it makes sense if. Pep just doesn't fancy him anymore. He wasn't going to play much in the run-in and they might do quite well out of him uh, in the summer. I don't know if Bayern Munich are ever going to spend that amount of money on a full-back, although they have, I suppose, with Lucas Hernandez before, but and I guess that's nothing really worked out all that well for them. Uh, but, I mean, maybe they can talk the fee down a little bit with Cancelo when it comes to the summer because it seems like his time at Man City, as his days look to be numbered now. Um yeah, I mean, if he wasn't going to play, makes sense for, for everyone. And Bayern are obviously getting a really good player there in a position that they need themselves. So, yeah, one of those loan moves that, you know, works out well for everyone and came out of nowhere as well, which was a lot of fun. Mm. It was quite uh, enjoyable having a, a deal like that that really hadn't been talked about, hadn't even been mooted that Cancelo was going to leave or that Bayern were in the market for a fullback of like that quality. And then, yeah. Nice one. Yeah, that's a real rarity these days. I feel like the surprise transfer is solely reserved for Danny Ings. He's like the only <laughs> he's the only guy who just goes bam, new club. And it's n- it's not much of a surprise. It's a yeah. club that wears claret and blue. Yeah, exactly. Time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, next transfer deadline day, Danny Ings signs for Scunthorpe. That's it. That would be just it. Be like, yeah, of course. Or traps on sport. <laughs> I was trying to think over the top of my head. I was like, shit, Parrot and Blue and Scum thought was the best I could come up with. <laughs> Turkish window still open. Don't don't cross out Danny Ings going to Trabzon. Um, you sell him already. He's not yeah. even on the door. Five minutes. Yeah, he got injured on his day, didn't he? Um, Bayern have really improved themselves with this deal, though, Lewis, especially with the Champions League to look forward to. Uh, he brings a lot of versatility, like we saw in his debut. Do you think overall it's a really, really pos- positive signing for them? Yeah, quite funny actually. I think his last start, I think for Manchester City, was in that game against Chelsea. They really struggled in the first half and he came off at half time in the recent league game against Chelsea. And he played sort of as a right winger. Um, and after the game, Pep apologised, saying, you know, he was in the wrong position. It's not his position, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then he played one after one day of training as a right winger for Bayern Munich last night and got an assist and uh, and, and did quite well. So who knows? Maybe it is his position after all. Um yeah, I think I think it's a massive improvement. I think Benjamin Pavar has over the years been one of the like you look at the Bayern Munich team you think, core like that eleven it's very hard to see where you can improve. And Pavard, maybe for me at least, to suck out as a position where an upgrade is I mean, more possible than, say, in midfield with Kimmich or left-back with, with Alfonso Davies. So I think that position, that role at right-back has been one that Bayern Munich haven't quite had quality since, I mean, Lahm left and then Kimmich was, was playing there for a bit and has become a midfielder since then. I think it's been a position where they could obviously upgrade for a while now. Um Beyond that, it gives Nagelsmann the ability to, to play a back three like he likes to. You know, we saw for years with Hoffenheim and Leipzig, he tended to play a back three and just one midfielder in front. And Bayern just haven't had a right wing back. So he's been playing at the weekend. They played with four at the back and Pavar wasn't playing. So it was Josip Stanisic, who with all due respect just isn't 
to the level of, of what Bayern Munich demand. And they didn't really create anything against against Eintracht Frankfurt. And then you saw it straight away, bam, debut, back three. Kingsley come on as a winger on one side, Cancelo on the other side. It means that they can play Kimmich as a, as a sort of lone midfielder. Uh, Kimmich played in the middle with um, Musiala, Muller and Sané all in front of him last night against Mainz. The ability to play three centre-backs and then Kimmich in front, if, yeah, I, I think that unlocks a, a new level and more potential for Bayern. And a Bayern team that's struggled a little bit at times going forward. Obviously Lewandowski's not there. Chupa Morting's had to hit a really good run of form to make sure that they're scoring goals consistently. If you can get an extra attacking player on the pitch, like in midfield, and say you sacrifice, for example, Goretzka, um, and then it means that you can have Musiala, Sané and Muller and Coman all supporting, and then Cancelo obviously on the other side, all supporting Choupo-Moting or maybe Sadio Mane when he comes back, or Serge Gnabry if he gets back in the good books, then yeah, it's a it's a bit daunting, I think, for anyone who has to come up against them. Oh my gosh, I was literally thinking this would make Bayern potentially Champions League contenders. Like, I'm not saying one player can change it, but certainly if they get things right in... Oh, they were already contenders, right? But within the construct of a whole, being able to play the perfect system, that makes them, I would say, stronger. Stronger than originally thought. Stronger for sure. Stronger for sure. They're originally a contender. Oh, I was looking at the Champions League list earlier thinking everyone's crap. It looks like a boring season. Maybe that was just me trying to tell myself that Spurs have a chance. Poor Daily Blind, by the way. Oh, oh. Daily Blind, who went to Bayern thinking he was going to get some games at centre back or maybe left back if Alfonso Davies is out. And they've gone to sign Cancelo. And then, like, the plan (laughs) apparently for Pavard for the rest of the season is to be a backup centre back. He's he's probably going to leave in the summer anyway. He's been linked to Barcelona and doesn't seem very happy in Munich anymore. Like, so then you've got Pavard is now the backup centre back. Cancelo is an extra option at left back, and Daley Blind's just sitting there, like, all right, I'll uh, collect my Bundesliga winners, medal and go home. Yeah. He can be the backup to Neuer, I suppose. Well, not Neuer. He can be the backup to the backup with Neuer out. I wonder if they should try that. You ever think, like, if a really bad injury crisis, there must be guys in squads who would be like amazing goalkeepers because at that level, you think I feel like amazing might be stretching it. Yeah, I was well, gonna amazing, say yeah. standing. There's always <laughs> there's always it's like thesaurus. <laughs> there's always Matt, a um Matt has a terrible joke about. Oh yeah, let's not bring out my thesaurus joke. We don't need oh. that just yet. <laughs> one, really one day we'll have a joke section of the podcast. Right. Uh, there's Today's probably there's probably one. There's probably one or two players who you find are quite nifty in goal. But you'll you'll always find that, that I remember there was, there was someone at Tottenham was saying that Harry Kane loves going in goal. But yeah, just, yeah, I remember seeing that. Just in just in training, but actually, when you get down to it, it's a specialised position. <laughs> to be fair, I can't remember I can't remember which Bayern manager it was, but they said that Neuer could play in midfield. Yeah, yeah, it was almost certainly Guardiola, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, like it's it's a shame we've not seen it tried. Like Neuer, I, Edison, there are a few goalkeepers out there now who, like, at some point, you think. But yeah, it's probably too disrespectful to the opposition. But there are a few goalkeepers and a few yeah. teams who are so dominant as well that they could probably get away with it. David James, David James crawled so they could run. They should do that in pre-season. Just relax all the rules and <laughs> goalkeepers up front. Random guys in goal. Why not make it fun? Because pre-season is the most boring thing in the world. So anything that they can do. To jazz it up, take those penalties like they used to do in the MLS, you know, the yeah. run from the halfway line, that kind of thing. I love them, they look well entertaining. Bring them back, I say. Uh, right, we'll move on to our final little bit, some other tidbits from around the Premier League, I should say. By the way, we have talked like I know a lot about Premier League on this podcast because the amount of money they've spent is astonishing, and all of the big news. And me and Podrick were sort of scratching our heads earlier, thinking any big news out of Serie A, La Liga, in terms of transfers or Liga. Not really a huge amount. So we'll end with uh, sort of around the division. Um, First off, Podrick, have Everton condemned themselves to a lack of business? To relegation, that is. I mean, yeah, they didn't give Sean Dyche or whoever was in charge of it a lot of time to spend the Anthony Gordon money, did they? Um, So 
and it looked like what they were planning on doing with it could have been disastrous. I mean, taking all of it and basically using it all for Conor Gallagher would have been um, quite risky. And then if they had got relegated, who knows where that would have led. I don't know about condemning themselves, though, because I think Deitch alone, um, he, he's he got enough about and, and I've said it before about Everton, but I just look at that squad and I don't think that they should be where they are. I think they've got enough good players. So, yeah, obviously they didn't do any business. Um, it seemed like every target they chased ended up elsewhere. Uh, so I don't think it was for a lack of trying on their part for the last few days of the window. But uh, no, I'm not going to not going to say they've condemned themselves by not bringing anyone in and losing Anthony Gordon really mm. doesn't make them that much weaker either, considering the season he's had for them. I mean, I don't think he'll be a, a great loss uh, on the playing front. I'm I'm predicting a new manager bounce at the weekend against uh, against Arsenal. As my bold prediction, we'll review that on Monday. <laughs> Most certainly, man than I. <laughs> yeah. uh, Lewis, how good will Weston McKenney be for Leeds? Yeah, fine. Yes, <laughs> just fine. Solid six out of ten. <laughs> well, like I don't, I don't think Weston McKenney's much better than Mark Rocker or or, or Tyler Adams, who they've got playing midfield for them at the moment. Anyway, I thought he had a good World Cup. To be fair, um, I thought he played really well for for the US at the World Cup. Uh, obviously, with Tyler Adams, but I think Mark Rocker's a was a good signing in the summer. He's been. He's been all right. I mean, it's hard playing in midfield for Leeds because you just sort of get the space you have to cover, I think, is just enormous. The players fly forward, you're expected to press and press and press, and it just means gaps sort of appear everywhere. Um, so uh, I'll, be, I'll be, be interested to see if he'll play in that sort of midfield two or if he'll play maybe slightly wider or, or slightly further forward. But yeah, I don't. I've never been too convinced by by Weston McKennie's quality. I thought I was very surprised when Juventus signed him permanently to to begin with, and mm. uh, I don't think they'll miss him too much. So, whether or not you can come in halfway through a season and, and drop into a midfield that I was going to say struggles to control games, they don't even try to control games. They yeah, lean exactly. into the chaos and the <laughs> yeah. madness. The more manic, the better. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, like I. Which to me feels like the hardest sort of team to come in and just be thrown into the team and play halfway through the season. Uh, so yeah, I um, I'm not sure by this one, and I'm far from won over by him referring to Ellen Road as dope. <laughs> I didn't even see that. Yeah, That's he, funny. he said that Ellen Road. They asked him what he thought of Ellen Road, and he was like, "Yeah, it's dope." I'm like, "No, this is this is our league, mate. You've got I like." Learn- I like the idea. I like the idea of Jesse Marsh having like posters around the dressing room that just say "Lean into the chaos," like as if oh, it's yeah, some sort yeah. of. That sounds like it could be. A by the way, like by the way, Batman calling Ellen Road dope. Wait till he sees like some of the new grounds in the Premier League. Ellen Road uh, is like one of the oldest, run, most run-down stadiums in the Premier League, and he's like, "Oh wow!" It's like, mate, like you just can't play for wait Juventus. for Tottenham away. Wait yeah, till yeah. he sees the spaceship like, that's been, been playing like. At Juventus's new ground every week. He's been going to San Siro. I, I'm, I find it hard to believe that he was blown away by the facilities yeah. at Ellen Road. Oh my god! An empty uh, Ellen Road, by the way. Like, yeah, like, an empty Ellen again, Road. Like when Ellen Road is full and the atmosphere is great, like fair enough. But he was just there when it was empty and all the lights were off. It's going to be super dope when everything's on and everything's <laughs> in there. Everyone's in there. Uh, the same question, though, goes to you, Podrick, about Sasha Lukic joining Fulham from Torino. I feel like you're a little bit personally upset about this one, too. That's a dope signing for Fulham, that. <laughs> got to say. Good bit of business. Um, yeah, Lukic is a quality, quality player. Probably um, one of the best midfielders in Serie A outside of the top six teams. He's probably one of those who that kind of move was coming for him. Um, surprised, to be honest, a little bit by the fee. Eight million, it's okay business for Torino, considering that he wanted to go last summer and then he was stripped of the captaincy. Um, he's kind of knuckled down a little bit since then, probably not quite been the player that he was before. But, I mean, I think Fulham fans are going to love him. Um, yeah, just get stuck in in the middle of the part of real... Real battler in there, um, and he's got a bit of a goal threat to him as well. 
I think he's probably one of the more underrated bits of business um, in the window, especially for Fulham position they're in. They're absolutely flying. It'd be even more interesting to see uh, what Marco Silva's plans are for him because maybe that, I think from their own fans, it seemed like that was the one thing that they were crying out for in this window and now they've got it. Yeah, this, this Lukic-Mitrovic-Serbian link-up is something I'm all here for. I, I, we talked about chaos before. I, Mitrovic brings a fair deal of that, so I really hope that I really hope that Lukic does too. Uh, Lewis, Albert Sami Lekonga is on loan at uh, Crystal Palace. Is he going to thrive under Patrick Vieira? Is he going to play, more importantly? <laughs> yeah, like, that's the first thing, isn't it? This is <laughs> sort of his best position, really, is, is where Eberichieza usually plays. So, uh, no. Um, yeah, like, I think there are minutes there for him. You've got, you've got Jeffrey Schlupp uh, at Palace as well, obviously, who plays quite a lot. Um, games where Palace might expect to have a little bit more of the ball, I think, is is where Lacombe will probably be more useful. It's a big test for him. It's I think at Arsenal, you know, there were times where he's showing his quality on the ball and he maybe carrying it, you know, finding a pass. But it's against the ball where he just seems to switch off and he's got no sort of intensity about him um, defensively. So you know, playing for Palace, you're not gonna they, they won't carry a passenger in the midfield. He's gonna have to learn to battle a little bit more and, and show a bit more grit to his game if he wants to play regularly. And yeah, I mean, I think he's playing for his future. I don't think his future will be at Arsenal now. Um, but he's auditioning, if you like, for Palace or other Premier League teams ahead of the summer or, or teams from abroad if, if someone wants to go and pick him up. You know, I'm sure he has, having been made Anderlecht captain so young and then he gets the move to Arsenal. I'm sure he thinks uh, highly of himself. He's moaned about not being, you know, a more regular feature in the Belgium squads at times. So he obviously fancies himself as a, as a top, top player. And this is his chance to, to go and show other managers in the Premier League, especially, I guess, that he's worth you know, a, a solid bid in the summer and a place to start every week for somebody. Because so far, Arsenal have not seen enough from him. And finally, for you, Podrick, Harry Souter at Leicester. Is £15 million a good deal for him? Uh, do you think he could could be sold on for big money. The only reason I'm asking that is because he's another big lad at centre-half with Harry, so I just assumed he'd go the Maguire route. Um, but is he, is he, tell us all about him and whether whether that's a bit of a steal. I, well, I don't think he's going the Harry Maguire route <laughs> anytime soon. Um, I'm surprised he went for £50 million. That's, that's a decent overpay, I think, for Leicester, for um, a championship defender who... I don't know. I mean, I think, to be fair, Leicester, there was a bit of an interest there last summer, but it also seems like um, like he's kind of came off the back of the World Cup where he was incredible for Australia. Um, I think there's one particular tackle against Tunisia that people in Australia want a statue, I think, built of this tackle. That's how that's how well it went down. Um, but yeah, before that, he'd, he'd been out injured for quite a long time as well. Um, I think the World Cup was kind of, they were worried it was going to come too soon for him, but went straight in, hit the ground running. So yeah, there's obviously maybe that little bit of risk there with him as well of how how that might impact him longer term. Like it was quite a considerable like, knee injury that, or muscle injury that he had. So, I mean, if he plays like, uh, like he's had for Stoke in Australia in the past, then I really like him. He's just kind of, I mean, like you mentioned about Harry Maguire, but he is that kind of old-fashioned centre-back, but he can also play with the ball um, as well, which you obviously have to do in a Brendan Rodgers team, but I would be quite worried um, that the centre-back signings that he seems to make, for whatever reason, he just does not seem to get them right at all. Like he spent good money on guys like Vestergaard and tried to get rid of him um, in January, so I'm always a bit hesitant when it comes to Brendan Rodgers defensive signings because I don't think he's probably got the eye for it that he maybe does for players further forward and I'm also just very annoyed as well that Harry Souter could be playing for Scotland and obviously is not but then he wouldn't have went to the World Cup would he so is, is he is he Scottish or of Scottish heritage no no he's he's Scottish and he went, he went Australian, well, he's Australian now. I'm sure he would dispute that actually I would, he probably would say he's Australian so but Australia have been very good to us as well. So yeah. 
Oh, fair enough. Uh, finally, then, we'll end with the, the big question that everyone listening actually can get involved with as well. You can tweet us at OneFootball or send in an email. The address is podcast at onefootball.com. Who has been the signing of the window for both of you? I'll go first and say Pedro Porro because I think he's going to make a big difference to Spurs, but obviously that's with my Tottenham hat on as well. You just live the gimmick, don't you? I do. I really do. It's like you build yourself up because you enjoy the letdown so much. <laughs> it all comes from part and parcel of being a Spurs fan. <laughs> uh, I'll let um, Lewis go first. It gives me time to think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, I, I probably shall cancel for Bayern, I think. Um, I, I, I do think it's on loan with mm. no commitment to spend 70 million euros on him, which is obviously an outrageous amount of money. Um, and I, I think he kind of sticks out for me as, as someone who would make a genuine. Big positive difference yeah. to the team that he's signed for. Um, I suppose it has to be one of the Chelsea ones, won't it? They've signed enough of them. Uh, <laughs> don't know about the best signing, but I mean, the one that I'm just like really intrigued to see how he gets on is probably Mudrick. Um, that'll be quite, quite an interesting, especially with the amount of options Chelsea have, which are those wider areas. If, if you're not playing well. There's plenty of guys, um, like we talked about earlier, breaking the door down to get into the team behind you. Looked really good in the Champions League. Um, it's looked okay for Chelsea so far. Not been blown away either. Uh, so yeah, if not the best sign, and that's the one that that's probably I'm most interested in to see how it goes. The most intriguing. Yeah, Perfect. It's the most intriguing rather than the best. Well, as I mentioned before, you can let us know your signing of the window. Which team do you think has, quote-unquote, won the transfer window? Uh, that's all from us for this week, though. Thank you so much to Lewis Alcadre for joining me. We'll be back on Monday, uh, probably reviewing my terrible prediction about Sean Dyche uh, and Everton against Arsenal. Uh, and all of the weekend's football as well. So thank you so much for listening. Until next time, we'll see you later.